असतो मद्गमय तमसो मोतिर्गमय मृत्योर्मामृतंगमय ओ शाति 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 लीड फ्रॉम द अनरियल टू द रियल लीड फ्रॉम डार्कनेस टू लाइट लीड फ्रॉम डेथ to immortality om peace 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 be unto us peace be unto all friends the subject for today's service is ascent to divine love we are discussing today some preliminary disciplines that will make our love for god true and fruitful we study from the bhagavad gita that there are four kinds of devotees the first kind worships god for relief from some physical or mental affliction the second kind prays to god for prosperity for power position name fame everything that people are generally after in this world that's the second kind of devotees the third kind of devotees they see god for the sake of knowing god they are called jignasu that means those who desire to know know what no answers to certain fundamental questions of life what's the purpose of this human life just to merely gather some experiences in a random way and then passing away from the scene one day we don't know when or is there a higher dimension to human life are we just this body and mind or is there an infinite dimension to our personality is there a god does god truly exist or is he only the fancy of some poets who sang in praise of him so these are certain fundamental questions which cannot be answered by scholarship any amount of study of philosophy will not get us answers to these questions these questions can be answered only when we cultivate love for god and discover the answers within ourselves not in some textbooks when we begin to pray to god to get answers to these questions we belong to the third category of devotees jignasu and the fourth category is those who have realized god those who have known god why do they worship god they have nothing to gain but the answer is whatever they do is worship of god they don't have any selfish agenda they don't work prompted by any desire 
their body and mind have become so purified that what they do with them cannot but be good whatever happens with their body and mind is a blessing to humanity and whatever they do is worship of god because they see nothing but god they have discovered the spirit in themselves they are one with that spirit and they see the same spirit manifest everywhere outside so they also worship god the first kind for relief from physical or mental affliction the second after prosperity the third after love for god knowledge and the fourth who have realized god now shri krishna after he described these four kinds of devotees doesn't deprecate the first two kinds he says all these people are noble minded udara sarva evaite udara means large hearted noble people all these four kinds are noble but the gnani one who has known god he may consider to be my very self so all the three kinds are all right acceptable to the lord but we need to remember that we shouldn't get stuck only to the first two kinds we need to graduate to the third kind worshiping god to know god to cultivate true devotion to god to discover some higher dimension in our being to manifest the divinity that is potential in us then we become true spiritual seekers we continue to be in the world we discharge our duties but our mind is oriented toward god we try to remember god not only during our meditation but we try to convert every form of work as some kind of worship of god every experience that we gather in this world is some kind of an instrument with which to commune with god that's what happens to the third type of devotee and then gradually true love arises in the heart mature devotion begins at that time swami vivekananda quotes pralada pralada's prayer in his discourses on bhakti yoga pralada was a great devotee of lord hari vishnu his father was a demon hiranyakashipu so he was born in this lineage but he knew nothing other than the lord howsoever the father tried to dissuade him from worshiping lord hari pralada was always devoted to hari so this pralada his prayer to god swami vivekananda uses that to illustrate what is divine love pralada says may that love undying which the non discriminating have for the fleeting objects of the senses never leave this heart of mine of me who seek after thee i'll repeat it may that love undying which the non discriminating have for the fleeting objects of the senses never leave this heart of mine of me who seek after thee so in this prayer 
this boy the saintly boy who knew nothing but god he says i want that attachment to god that tremendous clinging to god but only to god not to the fleeting objects of the senses the passion with which people cling to objects of the senses may have that same passion toward you and let that not passion leave me that is pralada's prayer and that is true love that is true love for the divine when we begin to love god above everything else and this bhakti yoga the path of devotion is special in that detachment renunciation is something very smooth in this path swami vivekananda divided humanity into four types the active type the emotional type the contemplative type and the philosophical type for the active type is karma yoga and for the emotional type is bhakti yoga the way of devotion the contemplative type is raj yoga the way of meditation and for the philosophical type is jnana yoga the way of knowledge but one thing that's important to keep in mind is this fact that renunciation especially mental renunciation is the common factor for all the four yogas no yoga becomes a yoga if you don't have this detachment karma yoga does not mean doing work in any which way we like and telling ourselves i am offering the resource to god that it becomes karma for karma to become karma yoga we need to unite ourselves with god we need to attach ourselves to god and detach ourselves from everything that doesn't lead us toward this manifestation of divinity so karma yoga bhakti yoga raj yoga jnana yoga all the four yogas require renunciation as the fundamental thing you find an incident in the gospel of shri ramakrishna during shri ramakrishna's last days when he was reduced to mere skin and bones because of his throat cancer narendra nath swami vivekananda's premonastic name he said to shri ramakrishna some people get angry with me when i speak of renunciation master in a whisper renunciation is necessary pointing to his different limbs if one thing is placed upon another you must remove the one to get the other can you get the second thing without removing the first so renunciation is fundamental to all the four yogas and shri ramakrishna says those who cannot give up outwardly should try to give up inwardly this inward renunciation mental renunciation is required for both a monk who has given up outside and a person in the world be he or she single or married every spiritual seeker serious about spiritual life needs to think about this but this bhakti yoga is special 
The renunciation in Bhakti Yoga, the way of devotion, is special. That's because the way of devotion lets us give a different turn to the natural tendencies of the mind, the natural impulses, the natural desires, all of them embedded in our samskaras. Bhakti Yoga lets us give a different direction to all this. Swami Vivekananda says, Bhakti is not destructive. He teaches us that no one of the faculties we have has been given in vain. That through them is the natural way to come to liberation. He continues, Here there is no violence, nothing to give up, nothing to tear off as it were from ourselves, nothing from which we have violently to separate ourselves. The Bhakta's renunciation is easy, smooth-flowing, and as natural as things around us. In this renunciation, auxiliary to devotion, there is no harshness, no dryness, no struggle, no repression, no suppression. The Bhakta has not to suppress any single one of his emotions. He only strives to intensify them and direct them to God. Swami Turiyananda, one of the monastic disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, he was known by the name Hari before he became a Swami. So this boy Hari, he came to Sri Ramakrishna. He was trained by him. And he asked him once how to get rid of lust. Sri Ramakrishna said, Why do you try to get rid of it, my boy? Increase it. The boy was puzzled. The boy was pure from his youth and every sincere spiritual seeker has to struggle with this urge, natural urge. And this boy was devoted to Sri Shankara, given to practice of discrimination, attracted to the way of knowledge in particular. When the boy was puzzled, Sri Ramakrishna explained, what is lust? The desire to get Instead of desiring to get someone else, desire to get the highest, desire to get God himself and intensify this desire. So natural propensity of the mind directed toward God becomes a spiritual practice. All our emotions, when they are colored with God, when they are directed toward God, not toward human beings, not toward him, not toward her, not toward our possessions, inanimate things. But when our natural emotions are directed toward God, they help to purify our mind. That's the simplest truth in Bhakti Yoga. And Swami Vivekananda says, when the same kind of love that has before been given to sense objects is given to God, it is called bhakti, true devotion. Hankering for God, thirsting for God with the same passion with which people thirst for sense objects. That is true devotion. And we'll discuss here seven preliminary steps that Sri Ramanuja advocates to grow in devotion to God. 
to cultivate this divine love that considers God as superior to everything else. Swami Vivekananda discusses all these seven virtues in his Addresses on Bhakti Yoga, found in the fourth volume of the Complete Works. So we will essentially discuss the points that Swami Vivekananda has taken up for elucidation. These seven points, these seven uh, qualities of a devotee are prescribed by Sri Ramanuja, the advocate of uh, the qualified non-dualistic school. And we will base our uh, lecture on Swami Vivekananda's commentary on these seven virtues. So the seven qualities required for a devotee to ascend to the divine love are number one, Viveka. Viveka here, according to Sri Ramanuja, is discrimination about food. There is a beautiful passage in the Chandogya Upanishad. Ahara Shuddhav Sattva Shuddhi Sattva Shuddhav Dhruva Smritihi So that way it goes. Finally, when the food is pure, the mind becomes pure. When the mind becomes pure, the memory becomes pure. When memory becomes pure, we become free. We become Jivan Muktas. So food has its own effect on the mind. When the food is pure, the mind becomes pure. You have another incident in the Chandogya Upanishad in which the teacher illustrates the effect of food on the disciple. He asks the disciple to forego part of his food on the first day and the next day still forego still more. Finally, that way, in a graded way, on one day, forego food completely. So now, as the food intake got reduced, the disciple's mind became hazier and hazier as the intake became less. And when he didn't subsist on food, you can go without food for a few days. Going without water is very difficult, but going without food is possible. So let's say a couple of days he went without food, his mind stopped functioning. It was so, so hazy, not sharp at all, not alert at all. So the Upanishad teaches that the finer part of the assimilated food goes to build up our mind. So Sri Ramanuja says, Viveka, discrimination on food, is important for a devotee. There are certain kinds of food which affect our mind. They change our mind. And there are some kinds of food which produce some change in the body too. And as a consequence, changes happen in the mind too. And we also find that most of the time, our misery is due to the food we take, the amount we take, the quality of food we take. That could be responsible for our problems. And Swami Vivekananda, he discusses this point a little in detail. He says, after a heavy and indigestible meal, mind control is rolled out. We become so sluggish, so heavy. Not to speak of any higher forms of control. We won't be able to concentrate on anything. We won't be able to read anything. After a heavy meal, a person becomes completely drowsy. 
all that can happen is only sleep. So no mind control is ever possible after a heavy and an indigestible meal. And also, after some exciting food, mind control is ruled out. And after some intoxicating drinks, the mind is not its usual self. Mind control is a far question. But even the basic alertness required for a civil life vanishes in a person who gets drunk. So the effect of food. Ultimately, it's the mind that should help us in resisting all this. But we are now discussing food, any kind of intake can affect our mind. And mind control becomes possible or impossible because of food. And according to Sri Ramanuja, there are three kinds of defects in food that we need to avoid. The first kind is jati dosha. Jati means the nature, the kind of food, the species of food, which must be considered. Swami Vivekananda says, all exciting food should be avoided as meat, for instance. This should not be taken because it is by its very nature impure. In this category, bitter food, malodorous food, food that has stayed for long, food that has gone bad, and food that is half-eaten by someone, are half eaten by ourselves. All this is included in this nature of food. Half eaten food from our own plate, saving in the fridge and then eating it, doesn't secure approval, even from a hygiene point of view, not to speak of divine love. So eating others' refuse and eating our own refuse also is included in this kind of impurity. And any kind of food that has been standing for days till its condition is changed and food in which its natural juices have been almost dried up. All this should be avoided. That is the first kind of defect in food. The kind of food. Second is Ashraya Dosha. Ashraya means the person from whom it comes. Who brings the food, who cooks the food, that can also affect us. You find this very clearly evident in Sri Ramakrishna's life. This is not just some story invented by some higher class of people to take it out on the lower caste. No. You find in Sri Ramakrishna's life, his body and mind had become so much attuned to God, so much purified, that a person of uh, loose morals could not serve him food. The person need not be in front of him. If the food had been touched by that person on the way, which Sri Ramakrishna didn't see, he could see the defect in the food and he couldn't touch that food. So people communicate their character when they cook, when they serve. So all this makes the case for us to struggle for purity and cook with a pure mind. And cook with this in mind, what I am cooking, I am going to offer to God and then partake of it as prasad. So that is the second kind of impurity, person from whom the food comes. Swami Vivekananda says, 
the idea is that each man has a certain aura around him and whatever thing he touches a part of his character as it were his influence is left on it it is supposed that a man's character emanates from him as it were like a physical force and whatever he touches is affected by it so says swami vivekananda we must take care who touches our food when it is cooked a wicked or immoral person must not touch it one who wants to be a bhakta must not dine with people whom he knows to be very wicked because their infection will come through the food then there is a third kind of defect in food nimitta dosha that means defect because of instruments nimitta means instrument that means any kind of foreign particle any kind of dirt in food any kind of dirt dust in food should be avoided and we should also be careful about secretion of saliva in food when food is being cooked we keep talking to people involuntarily saliva can escape from our mouth and then go into the food that is being cooked when we are conscious of things these things don't need elaboration when we are devoted we don't have questions when there is no devotion there are no answers like they say for an atheist there is no answer for a believer there is no question so these things considered purely from hygiene point of view merit following so this is the third kind instrumental instrumental kind of defect swami vivekananda says we must be careful also about the saliva and other secretions the lips ought never for instance to be touched with the fingers while cooking especially the mucous membrane is the most delicate part of the body and all tendencies are conveyed very easily by the saliva its contact therefore is to be regarded as not only offensive but dangerous and here of course again we must not eat food half of which has been eaten by someone else when these things are avoided in food it becomes pure pure food brings a pure mind and in a pure mind is a constant memory of god that is what shri ramanuja calls viveka when food becomes pure the mind becomes pure now shri shankara comments on this passage from the chandogya upanishad ahara shuddha sattva shuddhi when the food is pure the mind becomes pure shri shankara comments on the word ahara ahara means food ahara means whatever you take in it's usually understood as food ahara means what you grasp what you take in he says whatever you take in through any of your five senses and the mind that needs to be pure for the mind to be pure the ideas we take in through the mind will determine if the mind is going to be pure we struggle for purity on the one hand and on the other hand we permit the mind to take in any and every kind of idea any kind of dirty idea the mind can never become pure and the senses whatever we take in through the senses that's very important so the control is not only at the mental level 
but also at the sensory level. Swami Vivekananda says, It is quite natural for one to say the Shankara's meaning is the best. But I wish to add that one should not neglect Ramanuja's interpretation either. It's only when you take care of the real material food that the rest will come. It is very true that the mind of the master, but very few of us are not bound by the senses. We are all controlled by matter. And as long as we are so controlled, we must take material aids. And then, when we have become strong, we can eat or drink anything we like. So we need to take care of the mental food, we need to take care of the food that we take in through the senses, and we need to exercise care about the three kinds of defects that Sri Ramanuja has pointed out. Swami Vivekananda says, The great danger is that every man wants to jump at the highest ideal, but jumping is not the way. That ends only in a fall. We are bound down here, and we have to break our chains slowly. This is called Viveka, discrimination. That is the first step, one of the seven steps to divine love. Now the second step is Vimoka. Vimoka means freedom from desire. Freedom from desire for everything else other than God. That is what is meant here. Desire for the fleeting objects of the senses. May the desire not leave my heart, said that great sage Pralada. As I meditate on you, may that love that the ignorant have for the fleeting objects of the senses, may that love not leave my heart as I meditate on you. But the desire for objects, food for the five senses, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the nose, the tongue, these are the five senses. And these five senses have their corresponding sense objects. The mind is oriented toward the senses, the senses toward their sense objects. That is the natural course of the mind. That's the line of least resistance of the mind. And the Bhakta tries to give an inward turn to this mind. A mind that is auto-directed cannot at the same time think of God. In other words, bhoga and yoga are not possible at the same time. Enjoyment and yoga. Yoga means severance of contact with pain, severance of contact with the body and the mind trying to orient ourselves toward God. That is yoga. And freedom from desire is an important requirement. A person who is killed by desire is called a kamahata. A kamahata, there is a quality required. A kamahata means a person who is not killed by desire. Killed by desire, he is killed. His higher self is killed by desire. We become alien to our own higher nature. When we hear about the Atman, when we hear about God, when we hear about the fact that we are divine, this divinity is potential in us, all these things sound like mere words. That's because of desire. Desire kills that refined perception, that intuitive perception in us. Buddhi. Sri Krishna mentions it very clearly. He describes very clearly the systematic descent of a person who succumbs to desire. How desire spells death of a person. Second chapter. When Sri Krishna describes the qualities of a 
person of steady wisdom to Arjuna. He says in two verses, repeatedly thinking about sense objects results in attachment to them. Attachment gives rise to desire to possess them. Desire results in anger at the obstacles in the way of the fulfillment of the desire. Anger results in delusion means perverted view of things, taking the right to be wrong, wrong to be right, beneficial to be pleasant, pleasant to be beneficial, happiness for misery, misery for happiness. There is delusion. It's a tamasic quality. We descend to tamas immediately from desire, desire anger, anger to delusion. Delusion gives rise to loss of memory of what we have heard from our teachers, what we have studied from the scriptures, the values that our teachers taught us, teachers in school, the values our parents taught us, all this memory, memory of all this, memory of what we learned from the scriptures, from our spiritual teacher, whatever good things we have learned, our family values, we forget all that. That results from delusion. Actually, delusion is responsible for this loss of memory. Loss of memory results in loss of buddhi. We don't discriminate anymore. Our will is not strong anymore. Buddhi is that aspect of the mind with which we discriminate what is right from what is wrong, what's beneficial from what is pleasant. And it is this buddhi, this discrimination, that distinguishes a human being from animals. Four factors common to human beings and animals are eating, sleeping. The third is fear. And the fourth is the desire to procreate. But it's only this power of discrimination that differentiates a human being from animals. That becomes dead in a person who loses his memory. Buddhi becomes dead. When Buddhi becomes dead, it results in spiritual death. Buddhi nashat pranashyati. Spiritual death in the sense we continue to be human beings. We, we are nothing but animals with two feet and the power of speech. Nothing more. A life is lived in an instinctive plane rather than intuitive plane. So buddhinashat pranashyati. So freedom from desire is the second quality, vimoka. The devotee has to struggle to cultivate love for God and pray for detachment from sense objects. You study the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ramakrishna teaches us how to pray. He prays to the Divine Mother on behalf of all of us. Please grant me love for you. Please grant me taste for your Divine Name. May I not be deluded by your world-bewitching Maya. Please reduce my desire for sense objects. All this we have. So all that a Bhakta tries to do sincerely. Sincerity in prayer. That can effect transformation of character. So this second 
quality, vimoka, is important for a devotee desiring the highest, desiring God in preference to other fleeting things. The third is abhyasa, practice. We find this described in the Gita too. When Arjuna wanted to know how to control this mind, this obstinate, restless, fickle mind, how to control this, controlling this, I think is like controlling wind. That's how difficult it is. Sri Krishna says, it's true, the mind is obstinate. It's restless, fickle, but it can be controlled by two things. Practice and detachment. Abhyasa and Vairagya. Practice means repeatedly bringing the mind to settle on the ideal from wherever it strays. That is practice. Not giving a free rein to the mind, but reining it in. So since your spiritual seeker tries to rein in the mind, not follow the mind, but rein in the mind, give the mind a different direction, give it a direction toward God, rather than toward the objects of the world. So when that is done, the mind grows in strength. In fact, the buddhi, the will grows in strength by repeated practice. Sri Krishna says in the Gita, whenever the mind strays from the ideal, bring it back with the help of buddhi, slowly and patiently bring it back on the ideal. Buddhya Dhritigrihitaya. Bring the mind back with the help of buddhi, with the help of determination. Bring it back on the ideal. That is practice. Swami Vivekananda says, Thinking of the senses has brought us down here to cry one moment, to rejoice the next, to be at the mercy of every breeze, slave to everything. This is shameful. And yet, we call ourselves spirits. Go the other way. Think of God. Let the mind not think of any physical or mental enjoyment, but of God alone. When it tries to think of anything else, give it a good blow, so that it may turn round and think of God. We should not only impose this practice on the mind, but the senses too should be employed. Instead of hearing foolish things, we must hear about God. Instead of talking foolish words, we must talk of God. Instead of reading foolish books, we must read good ones, which tell of God. That brings us to the fourth quality, which is Kriya. Kriya means work. Work is doing good to others. Trying to practice selflessness. Because... When we are selfish, we are bound to the body, we are bound to the mind. At the same time, we cannot think of God. Swami Vivekananda says, there are two things, the world and God. Everything that is selfish is this world. God is unselfishness itself. So unselfishness means that which is not attached to the mind and the body that which is not attached to this petty self. So unselfishness is the Atman itself, God himself. 
So doing selfless work, trying to help others, in the spirit of worship of God that dwells in them. Swami Vivekananda emphasized this as a potent spiritual practice for this age. If God can be in a temple, he can be in a stone image. Accept our worship, bestow his grace on us. How much more powerful should his presence be in a living human being? That was Swami Vivekananda's thrust. He said, when you worship a living human being, not with fruits and flowers, but what is required by that human being, in a spirit of worship of the God that dwells in him, he said, that helps bring out the divinity that is dormant in you. So this work, Kriya, helping others, doing good to others, that will be a great help for a devotee to grow in devotion. The fifth quality is Kalyana. Kalyana means purity. Kalyana also means auspiciousness. Anything that is auspicious, that is called Kalyana in Sanskrit. So Kalyana here is purity. And Sri Ramanuja says there are five aspects of purity. There are five sub-qualities which can help us grow in purity. First is truthfulness. Truthfulness in thought, word and deed is what is meant. We need to be true to our conviction, not thinking of something, doing something else. Our thoughts, words and deeds should be in consonance. So that is what is meant by truthfulness. And second is straightforwardness or uprightness or rectitude. This means no crookedness in the heart, having some hidden agenda, having some selfish agenda, trying to hoodwink others, trying to make the end justify the means. All this is not acceptable for a devotee. Sri Ramakrishna says, unless you are guileless, you cannot realize that guileless one. That guilelessness is required. Freedom from crookedness, that is this second quality that helps us grow in purity. Swami Vivekananda says, the word means to be simple, no crookedness in the heart, no double dealing, even if it is a little harsh, go straight forward and not crookedly. The third quality is daya, mercy or compassion. Fourth quality is ahimsa, non-injury of any being by thought, word, or deed. And the fifth is dana, charity. Charity again is making of gifts to others. When we have the capacity to give, give, there it stops without any expectation of return of favor, without expectation of even gratitude from others. So that is dana. Then it goes to purify us. Shri Krishna says in the, the Gita, sacrifice, charity, and austerity. These three are never to be given up because they help us in undergoing purification of mind. So charity, the charity 
need not necessarily be in physical form need not necessarily be in the form of food clothing or shelter elsewhere swami vivekananda describes different kinds of charity we are not discussing them in greater detail but we can know this much you had this physical help offering of food clothing shelter second is you can save a life you can prolong a life medical help and the third is educational help giving ideas you educate a person he or she learns to think for themselves they can settle their own fate there is a third kind of help fourth kind of help is spiritual help and swami vivekananda says people foolishly think that physical help is the only help that can be given it's not only the last kind of help but it's also the least kind of help that's what swami vivekananda says the efficacy of these different kinds of help can be determined by how long the recipient is free from want swami vivekananda says you feed a person he becomes hungry again you save the life of a person you prolong his life swami vivekananda says giving him ideas is superior to just prolonging his life that's because merely prolonging a life letting someone lead a qualitatively not better life that's not something laudable instead giving a person ideas giving a person education goes to improve the quality of life and then you have the spiritual help this also not the highest help giving ideas but spiritual help that is offering i mean showing people the way to god praying for them so that blessing that spiritual help puts an end to our wants forever that's why that is the highest help says swami vivekananda so charity that is the last kind last of the five factors which can help us grow in purity of mind now the sixth quality is called anavasada anavasada means cheerfulness a bhakta a devotee should not be despondent shri ramakrishna never encouraged people to sit with a hand on their head like this or sit like this holding their chin with two hands that goes for a morose feeling as if the entire world has fallen on my head because our body has its own effect on the mind and the mind has its effect on the body so everything counts a bhakta cannot afford to be morose the mind has a tendency to think about imaginary happenings in the future which may not happen at all worrying about uncertainties a bhakta tries not to do that a bhakta always try to remind himself or herself that they are a child of god i am a child of god with god's help i can do it i am a child of the divine mother shri ramakrishna teaches i am a child of the divine mother i am repeating the name of the divine mother how can i be weak anymore how can i sin anymore that's the true sign of devotion devotion should make us grow in strength 
in cheerfulness. The Gita also says, we should not belittle ourselves, we should not demean ourselves. Natmanam avasadayet. You have to uplift yourself by yourself, but you shouldn't belittle yourself. I am a child of God. If God is pure, I am pure. If God is infinite, I am infinite. If God is all strength, I am strength. I am a spark of the divine fire. That is the qualified non-dualistic attitude. Because God is not somewhere out there. Beyond the clouds, you need to take a flight or just meet him only after death. Vedanta says God is right in you, in your heart. And you are a part of that God, says Vishishtadvaita. God is the supreme fire, you are a spark of the divinity. I am a spark of the divine fire. God is in me. He is closer to me than my closest. So Bhakta tries to be cheerful in that. But cheerfulness can also be interpreted as enthusiasm. No morose feeling. Every day is an opportunity to think of God, to grow in devotion to God. That's what a devotee tries to do. Swami Vivekananda says, How can those minds that are gloomy and dull love? If they talk of love, it's false. They want to hurt others. The man who always feels miserable will never come to God. It's not religion. It's diabolism to say, I am so miserable. Every man has his own burden to bear. If you're miserable, try to be happy. Try to conquer it. God is not to be reached by the weak. Never be weak. You must be strong. You have infinite strength within you. How else will you conquer anything? How else will you come to God? So cheerfulness, that is the sixth quality, anavasada. The seventh quality that Sri Ramanuja prescribes is anuddarsha, or avoidance of excessive merriment. Excessive merriment is uddarsha. Avoidance of this is anuddarsha. Excessive merriment, that's a nature. That's a natural state of people. Anything good happens, throw a party, make merry. But then, if some misery strikes them, the descent will be just to the other extreme. So devotee tries to control his emotion and direct it toward God. Not completely elated on the one side, not completely depressed on the other, but trying to find that, that balance within. That balance within Shri Krishna defines as yoga in the Gita. Samatvam yoga uchyate. Yoga is defined as samatva. Samatva means same-sightedness. That balance inside. And it teaches Arjuna in the Gita, in the second chapter especially. Look upon happiness and misery. Look upon profit and loss, success and failure with an equal eye. And then you will become a yogin. So yoga is remaining unaffected by both. So just being excessively merry, that doesn't help a devotee. Because in that state, the mind is not calm. Only when the mind is calm is any meaningful spiritual practice possible. Is any meaningful work possible? When the mind is restless, 
our body will be working, our hands will be working. But the restlessness of the mind will show in the work. We'll be absent-minded. Lack of alertness. And that will affect the work in hand. And excessive merriment is always followed by sorrow. Because these two alternate with each other. Happiness and misery alternate with each other. Excessive merriment alternates with sorrow. A person who is not given to excessive merriment is not completely crestfallen at the time of sorrow either. That's why some kind of a balance, some kind of a humility, offering both to God. Something good happens, something really good happens in our life. We pass some exam, we got some good job, something really good has happened. Offering it to God, becoming humble, thanking God for what has happened. When we cultivate this attitude, when we are in misery, we turn to God again. Not to blame him, but offering that also to God. So that kind of a balance only will make us grow in true love. Swami Vivekananda says, People often run from one extreme to another. Let the mind be cheerful, but calm. Never let it run into excesses, because every excess will be followed by a reaction. So the points that we discussed today, Ascent to divine love, Sri Ramanuja prescribes seven qualities required for a devotee to grow in divine love, to graduate to a true devotee, learning to love God above everything, not among everything, but above everything. So that becomes possible by these seven qualities. First is Viveka, purification of the body through sattvic food and cleanliness. Second is Vimoka, freedom from desire and by implication from anger, from everything else, lack of discrimination. So freedom from desire is the second quality. Third is continuous practice, Abhyasa. And the fourth is Kriya. Kriya is work, doing good to others without any expectation, doing selfless work. And the next is Kalyana. Kalyana is purity. And the sixth is Anavasada. That means being cheerful, freedom from despair due to disappointment or anything. So being cheerful, that is the sixth quality. And the seventh quality is Anuddarsha. Anuddarsha means not being given to excessive merriment, trying to be balanced in our attitude. So Sri Ramanuja says, when we follow these qualities, when we cultivate these qualities, we grow in yoga, we grow in same-sightedness, we grow in divine love. Thank you.